2022. But as many of us know, tragically, he died in October 2023, so less than a year after he completed his autobiography. And so reading it now, and I've, I've say, just finished it, so reading it this side of his death, I found reading it really hard. Actually, I found reading it quite distressing. But let me share a couple of quotes from it that kind of grabbed my attention. This was, this was one of them. The idea of being famous, the idea of being rich, the idea of being me, I can't enjoy any of it unless I'm high. And I can't think of love without wanting to be high. I lack a spiritual connection that protects me from these feelings. That's why I'm a seeker. And then he goes on to say this. I want a connection. I want that connection to something bigger than me because I'm convinced it's the only thing that will truly save my life. I don't want to die. I'm scared to die. As I say, I found it hard reading things like that in light of what happened in October. Perry is very open and honest in his book about his search for meaning in life. He is, or he was, a seeker. And lots of people are. And I wanna, I wanna share a quote that comes then from the guy who created Peanuts, the comic strip that introduced the world to Charlie Brown and Snoopy. This is Charles Schultz from a number of years ago. But this is, this is what he said. He said, I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know why we're here. I think life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It has a lot of grief in it, and it can be very grim. And I do not want to be the one who tries to tell somebody else what life is all about. To me, it's a complete mystery. And I reckon many people today share that perspective. For many people, life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It can feel pretty grim bit of a mystery. In December 2019, there was a pretty extensive uh, global poll done throughout the world of young people, and it revealed this. 89%, uh, 9 out of 10 16 to 29-year-olds in Britain, the poll was global, but this is what it identified in Britain, that 9 out of 10 16 to 29-year-olds believed their life lacked purpose and meaning. And remember, that poll was just conducted two months before COVID. And we all know the impact that that had on young people's mental health and well-being. Life, for far too many people in the 21st century, appears to have little or no real purpose. Meaning seems to be elusive. And so, and I know you know where I'm going with this. Uh, and so I, I thought it might be good to revisit a book of scripture that confronts and speaks into these very issues that Perry and Schultz and those young people alluded to. A book in scripture which is ironically as meaningful now as it's ever been. A book that is written by possibly one of the wisest people who ever lived. That is if Solomon actually wrote it. And I know from the way this book begins, it seems that Solomon wrote it, but there's a bit of debate as to whether he actually did. Don't let that distract you 
Don't let that distract us. The main thing is this is Scripture. This is God's Word. But the teacher, as he's actually called in the opening sentence, that's the only thing we can be clear about. He's called the teacher or the preacher. He begins his book with these famous, these provocative, these arresting, these striking, relevant words. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so here's a question. Is this Is his conclusion, because that's what this effectively is, is this his conclusion about life and on life, is it deeply skeptical or deeply realistic? Is this skepticism or is this realism? In some ways, I would love you to turn to the person beside you and have a chat about that, but I know so many of you hate that, so I'm not going to make you do it, okay? But is is this, as you listen, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. Is Is that the words of a skeptic or is that the words of a realist? Well, by now, I'm sure we all know the book that we're going to read together. It is Ecclesiastes. It's been a long time since we have read and explored an Old Testament book on a Sunday evening here at Windsor. I was quite shocked to discover it's actually five years since we were in the Old Testament on a Sunday night. And so I apologize for that. Uh, And so I thought we'd put that to right. A few of you might remember that we did a series in Ecclesiastes before, back in 2009. Who was here in 2009, anybody? Just a few, a handful of people. Well, there is a time to repeat. I think that's in this book. Uh, There's certainly a time for most things. Plus, as I've already mentioned, there's actually nothing new under the sun. So if you can access a Bible, can I invite you to turn to this fascinating and unique book, which Winston Churchill once described as a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. A riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. There there is no doubt that the writer of this book is caught up with the kind of questions and enigma of life. But what, that's exactly what actually makes this book a must-read. It's why it is so accessible to so many people. It is why it is such a key and relevant book, I want to suggest, for this time. In fact, for every time, for any time. So getting back to that question I almost got us to discuss, I believe this book is real. This book is real. Or to quote David Gibson, and again, lots of us here will know who that is. His mum and dad were members of this church for many years, but David Gibson has written a brilliant book on Ecclesiastes, and this is what he says. The book of Ecclesiastes is one of God's gifts to help us live in the real world. It's one of God's great gifts to help us live in the real world. Far too many people today do one of two things. Either they pretend life is not how it actually is, and and therefore they deny reality or they avoid reality, or the other thing many people today, I feel, do is they attempt to escape. And so escapism, and some of you will know this, escapism has become an increasingly recognized thing, and here's how it's defined. It is the tendency to seek distraction and relief from life, especially by seeking entertainment or engaging in fantasy. 
And again, I would, I would love to press pause and I would love to get us to discuss, this, to discuss this whole idea. Does the rise in the entertainment and media industry and our access to it now, does that prove that there is an increasing desire to escape reality? Well, this book that we're going to read together for the next few weeks urges us not to do that not to do that. To quote Derek Tidwell, he says this, Ecclesiastes was written by a man who decided not to ignore reality any longer, and he invites us to join the conversation. And so although uh, T.S. Eliot, lots of quotes tonight, none this morning, but lots tonight. Although T.S. Eliot, considered one of the 20th century's greatest poets, warned that humankind cannot bear very much reality, I believe we need to bear reality. And we need to join in a conversation with the teacher about reality, especially if we're going to discover meaning and purpose in life. That's what this is all about. Okay, let's get to the actual biblical text, which begins with, as I say, that apparently bleak summary. And as you know, the writer and the teacher then goes on. This is how he starts, but the rest of Ecclesiastes is where the teacher or the preacher then unpacks and gives his reasons for saying that. Now, that opening phrase, meaningless, meaningless, it appears something like 30 times in the book, one way or another. And so it's really important as we set out in this journey that we're clear on what it means. And so the original Hebrew word that is translated as meaningless can also be accurately translated as breath or breeze. And so up front, what the teacher is actually saying, or one of the things he's saying, is that everything is a mist, everything is a vapor, everything is a puff of wind. If you have an ESV Bible in front of you or an RSV, there is a footnote to that effect, which says that here's how you can read verse 2. Vapor of vapors, says the preacher. Vapor of vapors, all is vapor. Derek Kidner put it like this in his commentary on the message of Ecclesiastes. The teacher is effectively saying that life, when you look at it hard enough, is a wisp, it's a vapor, it's a puff of wind, it's a mere breath, nothing you can get your hands on, the nearest thing to zero. And life is just a vapor. And we'll say more about that because Scripture says more about that on a number of occasions. And whatever way you look at that, that is quite a striking conclusion. And as I say, in the rest of the book, the teacher goes on to explain why he says this. But for tonight, we're going to read the next nine verses from 3 down to 11, which kind of provide a bird's eye view of his case regarding life. And so if you're able and willing, can I invite you to stand for the public reading of God's wise word? Let's stand together. So after he says the meaningless bit or the vapor upon vapor or vanity of vanities, depending on your translation, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises, and then it rises, and then it sets, and then it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. 
The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Grab a seat. When you do read that through for the first time, or maybe the first time in a while, it does sound pretty negative, doesn't it? It's pretty pessimistic. There's not a lot of hope in there, not a lot to inspire hope. Futility abounds. It almost sounds like a chasing after the wind, which, as you know, is a phrase we're going to come up against in this series. Meaningless, if you like, does sound just about right whenever you've just listened to what the teacher has just shared as he asks certain questions, as he probes certain things, as he reflects on life, as you listen to him, you just think, yeah, meaningless. Take, for example, the first question, which is pretty direct. You spend so much of your life working your fingers to the bone, but what do you actually gain? Repetitive strain, more money, more stuff, promotion, more prestige, possibly. But, but the question is, is that it? Humanly speaking, you may be or you may get to be pretty wealthy. You may even accumulate lots. But is that really what it's all about in the grand scheme of things? Or more accurately, is that what it's really all about in the eternal scheme of things? Jesus picked up on this idea on one occasion when he asked a similarly searching question. You know it. How do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul in the process? And we live in a culture in the West, where quite a lot of people are materially rich, but spiritually they're destitute and broke. And in the eternal scheme of things, that's disastrous. To answer Jesus' question, it's no benefit because you can gain lots, you can have tons, but at the same time you can have absolutely nothing. And the teacher or the searcher is in part trying to get his readers to think through issues like this. Not that there's anything wrong with having as we know but if that's what life is all about, what's it all about? And he says, we need to think these issues through before it's too late. Because then as he goes on to say in the next statement, he says, life is short. Verse 4, generations come and generations go. We are, and this picks up on that fuller meaning of meaningless. We are, to quote elsewhere in scriptures I said earlier, we are like a breath. Our days are like, as the psalmist says, our days are like passing shadows. Or into the New Testament, here's what James reflects on. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then you vanish. That's reality. That's realism. And we can pretend all we like that it's not. You can certainly try delay the aging process. You can even alter aspects or signs of it. But still, one out of one people die. Generations come, generations go. Life is short, and you cannot deny that, and you cannot avoid the inevitable. Now, before we, we kind of move on and keep teasing this out, let me go back to that little phrase that has appeared once already. It appears a second time in verse 9, and then it appears a further 27 times in Ecclesiastes. Not the meaningless phrase, but a different phrase. And it's a really important term, and it's this term, under the sun. 
And at one level, what this means, there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. There's one main way, but there's another way that is really important for us to understand it. At one level, what this kind of indicates is that this is just the way things are. This is just the way life works. There is nothing new under the sun. This is just, life is short. You will die. That, that's reality. Or verse 3, regarding work, what do you gain for all your toil under the sun communicates? That's just the way it is. Work is what it is. Work is work. But there is another dimension to that little phrase, under the sun. It doesn't just mean that this is reality. This is just the way it is. There is nothing new under the sun. But under the sun also means life from a purely human perspective. What this is referring to is life without God, life apart from God. And that's where this whole idea comes in about meaning. That if all we ever do is live our lives under this, without reference to and apart from God, then life will lack meaning and purpose. In other words, what you see if you don't live life under the sun by recognizing that there is more, if, it, it will just mean that what you see is all there is and all there ever will be. And so as the teacher looks at the tangible temporal world and our lives in it, this idea of living life under the sun, i.e. without God, he recognizes, listen, this is all meaningless. Life is just a breath. Life is just a vapor. And then what? And so for the teacher, he seems to be wondering, or he's putting it out there, could there be something beyond the sun? Could there be something more? Is there another perspective? Is there actually another reality? Well, back to the text, because as he continues his reflections and musing in verses 5 to 7, he highlights another reality, that life's repetitive. It's like clockwork. So the sun goes up, the sun goes down. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. The wind blows north, the wind blows south. Round and round it goes, he says. All streams flow into the sea, the sea's never full, and so on and on it goes, it's almost as if he's saying the natural elements, the sun, the wind, the water, mirror our human experience. Where at times it can just feel like life is repetitive. It feels monotonous at times, an endless cycle. And so as he puts it at the beginning of verse 8, all things are wearisome. And as we've been saying and, and, and pointing out, this is reality. This is reality. It's just the way it is under the sun. But the problem is we don't believe that or we don't want to accept that. We don't always like that reality. And so what we do is we play, let's pretend. Let's deny that reality. Let's avoid that reality. This is how life is. Or we try to escape it as much as possible. Let's keep ourselves distracted. Let's keep immersing ourselves in either a virtual or an entertainment world. Not, again, that there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves, but if they become the primary things, if they become the go-to things in order to escape reality, then that's where we've got a problem. And so the teacher goes on, and I am going to finish here for this evening. The teacher goes on in verse 9, and he says, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. And what he's saying is, we, we always want, we're always after more whether it's more things or, also, or else more information. We, we want to hear more. We want to know more. We're never 
satisfied. If only I had this, if only I had that, if only I changed this, if only I lived there, if only I did that, if only I didn't do that, if only I knew this. And so he's saying life has got this appetite that can never be fully satisfied unless. And then that's what he goes on to unpack in the rest of this book. And as Jagger and Co. once said, I can't get no satisfaction. And and under the sun, the teacher would say, yeah, amen, you can't. And so the teacher is, is not a skeptic. He's not being depressive. He's simply being real. And therefore, this book has the ability to inject a massive dose of reality into a world that has lost its bearings and has lost a sense of the reality of God. And so, some people are seeking like Matthew Perry was, and only God knows whether he ever found what he was looking for. And many others like Charles Schultz are left scratching their heads wondering, what is this life really all about? And for too many others, like those 16 to 29-year-olds surveyed in that poll, they reckoned, you know something? There just is no purpose or meaning to it. And so what about us? Well, I believe we need to accept reality. We need to accept, and I know many of us do, we need to accept that life is short because part of the reason for this book is the the teacher is wanting to prepare people to die and to die well so that they can live well as they prepare to die well. And so as you read Matthew Perry and he talks about, I don't want to die and I'm scared of dying. And this book speaks into that. It says you need to face up that you will die. And the important thing is, are you prepared to die? That's what this teacher wants to address. We have to work. We can't change the seasons. We will get tired. You won't find the true sex. We'll never find true sex in wanting and having and knowing more. But by accepting reality, by pretending you can't avoid it, by not always trying to escape from it, then you are better placed to look beyond the the sun and to, to discover the source of true meaning, the source of true purpose, the source of true fulfillment, the source of eternal life. In fact, you then can find ultimate reality beyond the sun. And that's where we're going as we look through this book together. Andy.